Is it like Sixth Sense? I see dead people. Yeah, exactly. Today's guest is Australia's number one psychic detective. She's an internationally claimed psychic medium, author, psychic detective and spiritual teacher and has spent the last 30 years assisting police departments around the globe with high-profile missing persons and murder investigations. She's a best-selling international author and makes regular appearances in the media and is in high demand for speaking engagements and interviews, so I am thrilled to have her on the podcast. If you've ever wondered about the afterlife, if ghosts are real or anything to do with the paranormal and psychic ability, today's episode is for you. Episode 106, Debbie Malone. The One Moment Please podcast. Yeah. Well, welcome to the podcast, Debbie. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. You're my first official psychic medium that I that I have spoken to. And I was having a chat to your lovely business manager, Emma, and she was saying to me, don't be surprised if uh, in the middle of the conversation, Debbie says, oh, you've got somebody over your shoulder. So I purposefully unblurred my background in case that happened. <laughs> so yeah, can... I never know it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm fascinated because there's different types of psychics and compared to clairvoyance and mediumship. So how do you define uh, your abilities? Do you see people or is it like sixth sense? I see dead people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like that. Initially, I um, couldn't be sitting up talking to you now and seeing dead people around you. I used to only see them um, when I was doing, when I was first started to tune in was be seeing them in a meditative state. I mean, I used to see uh, dead people when I was little. My um, grandfather, who I was very close to, died when I was around 14, uh, 14, 15. And I used to see him. He used to come into my room and sort of be like a see-through blue kind of a uh, apparition. And he'd come and sit on the bed. He would never talk to me. He would just sit on the bed and I'd feel the blankets go tight. So I would know that was him. And he smoked he died of throat and lung cancer, so I would smell cigarette smoke around him. I used to always see um, lights and uh, balls of light flying around my room and I'd hear a lot of muffled voices and that used to scare me and I used to tell my mum and dad and they just said I was just trying to get their attention or I had an overactive imagination. But as I've got older and I started doing spirit photography in around 1999, that's when I realised that um, those balls of light I was seeing were actually spirit energies or what's called an orb. And I'm a clear audience, so I hear spirit. And so that those voices I were hearing would be like little snippets of conversations and lots of people sort of going, you know, sort of in and out of the room. And I had a very vivid um, experience two nights ago. I was sitting up really late working on something and I went to bed and my head was very busy because I'd been on the computer all day. And I ended up having that kind of conversation in my head that I had when I was a kid. So it was like I was just sitting in a room that was busy with lots of people, all little snippets of conversation coming in. I'm coming at it from a completely ignorant uh but yet fascinated viewpoint. So a lot of my questions you're going to probably roll your eyes at, but please bear with me. No. How do, if, if someone normally says I'm hearing voices and I'm seeing things, a lot of people would automatically say that person's having some form of psychosis. Of course. Particularly I would say those in the, um, 
I'm obviously not a medical professional, but those in the medical profession would sort of lean towards that way. How did you know, or how does, I don't know if you could speak to anybody else, but how do you, how does one know that this is different to a psychosis rather than, do you understand what I'm I understand what you're saying. At? Yeah. Definitely. It, it's very hard because um, when I was writing my book, Awaken Your Psychic Abilities, when you when you look up hearing voices it means that you are having a psychotic episode or that you're bipolar or you have got mental health issues but we also um call that clairaudience so we have um five senses that we see through you know that we use on a daily basis but we actually have eight psychic senses that we don't always work or think that run hand in hand so all of us have them some of us have them activated more than others but i think it is it's it's a very very fine line and i think when you're working on the positive then you are picking up it on a psychic side of things and i do think people with mental health issues you know or mental illness or if they are bipolar or um schizophrenic um a lot of the time they are picking up on actual psychic experiences but they may be working more on the negative like you know you might get a little gut feeling or a little voice telling you know um slow down there's a radar up ahead and you slow down and there's one there or you might be thinking i really want a parking angel today and you know you're at the supermarket and it's really busy or you know the shopping center and then you're guided to go to a certain aisle and you drive in and there's a parking spot so we would just say oh that's our intuition or you know it's like our little parking angels there to help us but the other side of that too you know if you've got um getting messages you know you might get a message about just pop into your head that oh you're going to see such and such today or you need to ring someone because they're upset you know or you get a little message about someone and then you they they pop up in front of you that you know is that a mental health issue or is it a psychic thing i think it's psychic but i think a lot of the time it's a very very fine line and and what energy are you working on for that particular thing to be positive or a negative is the other thing to think about so that so your own personal energetic vibration is is going to attract either spirit from the light or spirit that's a not so light yeah like it can you know sometimes if you're feeling depressed or down or sad um like attracts like so even in in life you might if you're feeling down you might attract more negativity into your life but when you're more positive then you attract more positivity into your life so you know there's good and bad in the spirit world and there's good and bad in life and i think you know when we when we die we don't all suddenly get a set of wings and become angels uh, you know not everybody's walking around to you being a devil either so i i from my own personal experience yes it's a fine line and trying to work it out but when you're getting guiding, uplifting messages and positive things, you know, it might be inspiration. You might be writing something and you get positive inspiration. You know, a lot of um, musicians, they will get positive things, you know, through lyrics or painters or artists, you know, or um, authors. So a lot of the time they say that they get inspiration from above or this suddenly they feel this surge of energy that's giving them positive things. So that's not a bad thing. But then they might not always say it's a psychic thing. So I think it depends what people want to call it really. So by that definition, then I would say that everybody has a psychic ability. They do. They do. We're all wow. born psychic. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All so, right. So we're all born psychic. I wasn't expecting that. We are. And I think, I think it's on what your definition of psychic is. I think people are more accepting to say that we're um, intuitive. 
Mm. You know, well, we all will go with our gut feelings because it mm. feels right or it doesn't feel right. But if we all said, oh, I'm psychic, everyone starts to think, oh, you're psycho, or you're psychotic, you know, or, or are you psychic? But we do have moments in time where we do get these things coming through to us. And it can be when you're, you know, on the verge of, you know, an accident or whether you're on the verge of death. Like I've had seven near-death experiences now. So that's why I do what I do. I did not want to do this. This was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. I wanted to be a dive instructor and I blew my over window going through my courses. So that stopped me doing that. But then that gave me tinnitus in my right ear. So mm -hmm. that's the ear I hear spirit in. So it's kind of like through a negative, something else happened. I, you know, my other incarnation, I was a graphic designer and I still do a lot of things with graphics and things when I put my newsletters and workbooks and things and writing together. But it's... Um, I wasn't anyone who'd go off to psychic school or would never have a reading. My friends would go and I'd just go, no, what you don't know doesn't hurt you. And I was always scared of death when I was a little girl. And then, you know, having all these near death experiences certainly changed my way of thinking. And I tried really initially to turn it off when it all happened. I did not want to know about it, but the more frightened I became of it, the more I tried to shut it down, the worse it became and the more out of control it became. How did you, broach the conversation with your parents and for them to take you seriously rather than saying Debbie's crazy I didn't ever speak to them about it because they just told me that really? they didn't want to know yeah so they, they knew that I saw my pop and then mm. the, the day before I got married mm. um, my nana was in the house because there was I find everybody has their own smell or their own pheromones and there was a particular smell about my nana's house and um, my future husband and I had pre-purchased a property down the coast and we would sort of starting to fix it up just before we got married. Then I went home and I stayed home for the couple of days before the wedding. And when I walked in, I said to mum, Nana's here. And mum and Nana didn't get on all that well. And I said, oh, Nana's here. And it's my dad's mum. And she said, yeah, I know. She said, I felt something. And it was, this smell was only coming from my bedroom. And when Nana was alive, she always oh. said, and she said she only wanted to, she wanted to live long enough to see me get married and she never got to. And, um, but she said, I'll be there. And so she actually was there. And this, after the wedding, it disappeared. And it was kind of like, she was just telling me she was there. So, so that's interesting. So everybody has that ability. So then your mum also has that ability and she knew. You said oh, no, no, oh, she, she could smell the smell. Yeah, but she, but she wouldn't have admitted that. No, my dad's mom, who, who was in the house, um, she was psychic, but I didn't know this till after, way after she died. So she, um, her and her sister, so they came from Tasmania. Yep. So, so my great aunt Etty, she used to go and have flower readings at the Spiritualist Church in the 1940s, which would have been pretty well unheard of back then. Yeah, and I didn't find out about that till sort of later on, and then. Um, my nana bought me the John Sen's game of ESP, but anything mum didn't think we should have it would be sort of delegated to the top cupboard in her bedroom where you'd need to get a chair or a ladder to get it out. And so I never got to play with that game, but nana told me that I should practice with it. Didn't really know why. And then um, she started to have, everyone said she was going crazy and she had these mental, she did have a mental breakdown, but um, she actually was psychic and so she came over and stayed with us um, for one particular time and mum had just bought all her cleaning products. So she'd bought her Mr Sheen and the air fresheners, but they were all in aerosol cans. And Nana came over and threw them all out and said she had to get rid of them because they were going to make a hole in the sky and it was going to affect 
you know, the climate of the earth. And she bought me a book on climate change. So I'd have been nine at that stage. And I still have that book. It was all about pollution and there's going to be a hole in the sky. And now we look back at, you know, it was the ozone layer. And then yeah. she, um, she used to give us St. George money boxes all the time and told us we had to bank with them. And back then they were a building society and mum said, you can't bank with them. They're not a bank. And so mum would throw these St. George money boxes out. And Nana said it was going to be one of the biggest banks in Australia one day, which it's pretty huge now. And then the other thing is she grew up, she lived in Bankstown and she, um, Paul Keating was the actual local member at the time. Mm-hmm. And she always said that he was going to be prime minister one day, which he did end up being. So I look back now and I realise that, you know, she wasn't crazy. She was having visions, but was probably pretty much misunderstood about what she was picking up. You mentioned that um, depending on your vibrations, you can either see more negative or positive spirit. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll phrase it I'll phrase it like that. I think everyone can sort of determine what's meant by that. But if someone doesn't want to, if someone's reached that um, ability or vibration that they can uh, sense or see spirit and they, and they are scared and they want to turn it off, is there an ability to turn it off? Can you turn it off? Yeah, some people can turn it off. A lot of people okay. have got to a point where they ask spirit not to show themselves anymore because it, it frightens them. It might be especially when a loved one has just passed and they might say to the person, I want you to show me that you're okay. I have a lot of clients that when I do a reading and then they get upset because they said, I'm so sad I said that because I was just too terrified and I didn't want to see them. But now all I want to do is turn it back on, you know, and I think spirit doesn't want to scare us. I mean, even, I mean, yes, there's ghosts, but a lot of the time they they might be asking for help. They might be earthbound. Like I really don't like driving past um, roadside memorials where somebody's, you know, been hit by a car because a lot of the time they put belongings and things there. And for me, it traps the person there that's had that accident so when I drive past they're still standing there at that site you know so I think sort of traps the energy so so that is that is one of the things that I wanted to ask you what is I mean we think we think okay people pass on and they go to to heaven if you're religious or spiritual um what is you're saying that they're trapped in the earth realm what how do the realms work you know, I don't know exactly everything about it all, but I know that there are different different layers. And okay. sometimes if somebody is murdered or they have unfinished business, they might they might have been murdered, they might have died in a car accident and they, um, they're sort of stuck at the site. Um, sometimes historical locations, you know, where there was a war, there'll still be energies from there. Um, it doesn't always mean they're always trapped. Sometimes it's just that memory. So some things can be a memory trapped in time of what had happened at that location. But I think um, we can oh, all go I'm... to the light. Just sorry, just explain that to me. I'm sorry to interrupt you. What sorry. do you mean a memory? I understand conceptually in terms of a, a spirit trapped in being earthbound, but how does a memory get trapped and then not a spirit be attached to that? Well, sometimes it's like a residual energy of the land. Right. So say, for example, there was an area that we used to go and do some investigations. It's called Studley Park. It's at Camden. It's on a golf course. But it was actually uh, a house that I think one of the early um, film studios owners owned and his little boy drowned there. And then there was, then there was military people that were there um, when it was, uh, I think it's, I think it was first world war i can't remember i think it's first world war we went there to investigate and so at, at a certain time 
the soldiers would come down the stairs and say it was lunchtime and say it was 12 o'clock, for example. So we were there around that time and then the whole place started going crazy. So you could hear all these stomping of boots coming down. It was like a three-storey place coming down the stairs. And then we were standing down where the main area where they would have had their lunch. And there was a big, it was a guest book because it had been a restaurant at a, at a stage, but it had, was no longer being used for that at that point. And the book just flipped over, every page just flipped right over, like the wind had got it and there was no wind inside. And so it was like, it was sort of like a memory of time that at that particular time, that's what happened. We had the same thing happen at um, the Sydney College of the Arts where it's Callum Park, which is one of the, you know, one of the terrible mental hospitals that we had in Sydney. And that was a certain time where the patients would be taken for lunch and the same thing would happen. So there would be a lot of activity. So it would be just more like it's replaying. It's almost like it's on a, um, I don't know, it's like on a timer that things would happen. You know, it's like dad might have passed away and he might have come home at six o'clock and he would went down to the back gate and came through the back door and you'd hear his shoes come in. So sometimes it, that same thing will replay even though they've been passed for 20 years. Wow. You said everybody can go to the to the light. What stops people from going to the light? You mentioned unresolved um, issues. Yep. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sometimes some people have unfinished business. You know, sometimes that they feel they didn't get to say goodbye to someone. Um, it can be a whole range of reasons why somebody passes. They might not feel they should be dead. Sometimes when we die suddenly, it's more or less like our soul's out of our body and we and we we don't want to go we're still very connected to the earth realms sometimes it's you know to make sure that people you know sort the will out properly before they go because they, the will is their will and yet their family members tend to always fight over them so you know they might be hanging around to sort of check that that's done properly um there's yeah there's quite a lot of different things sometimes they stay around because they just want to make contact with their loved ones to say goodbye so they might have died in the hospital or they might have died suddenly and they want to get their message across and in murder cases a lot of the time they won't go to the light until there's a resolution to what happened to them when you visually see these people are you seeing them in the state that they physically presented prior to an accident or are you seeing the injury on them as well it can be both. It depends how they wish to wow. show themselves to me. Sometimes when it is an accident or a, a murder investigation, they will show me what's happened. Um, sometimes they come through in different ways. It's, it's sorry, that keeps hitting the zipper. Um, so sometimes they might come through to me, especially males, it's been funny. Say they thought they looked pretty hot and they, they were young and they had their hair and they've got this nice outfit on. So they might show me when they've got their hair because they don't want to show me what they look like when they were 80, when they were bald, you know? So they'll show me things like that. I've actually had- um, There's vanity in the spirit realm as well. Still, still vanity, still vanity. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Even with one murder case I worked on, the girl, she was a model. And each time she'd come in a vision, she'd had different outfits on. So wow. she would show. And sometimes people show me, you know, if they've had, when they had short hair, when they had long hair, or I've even had things, um, one particular lady I did a reading for, because I used to do psychometry. So I would hold a piece of jewellery and from holding that would be like watching TV. Anyway, I could see her father was deceased and he, he appeared over her shoulder and he's smiling at me and all I could see was all these gold teeth. And then I said, oh, your dad's in spirit. She said, oh, well, I'd like you to hold this. So she gave me this big lump of all this molten gold that she was wearing around oh, her neck. Oh, no. 
yes no (laughs) and then it was like I held it went oh I said they're your father's teeth aren't they and she said yeah they are and she'd um he died in South America and she'd gone a year after he died and got them all taken out and melted them down and that's what she was wearing around her neck he didn't want the gold wasted because there was a lot of gold that was quite a big blob of gold and for him that was his way of showing that he was wealthy so you know he was wearing his wealth in his teeth so he was very proud to show me these teeth as well how do you turn it you said sometimes you can turn it off sometimes you can't when i was having a chat to your business manager emma she was saying sometimes they would just rock up on you around your room before you have a reading with someone a couple of days you'll have, you know, 20 people standing around your bed, which to me is not a restful night's sleep. No. How how do you combat that? Because at some point you're going to have to be able to relax and, and I would imagine seeing it all the time is um, not relaxing. It's just part of my life now. I'm just kind of is used it? to okay. it. Well, I, I um, you know, if I, go, I go out for walks and just – if I've listened to music, they can't seem to get through as much, but you know, I think I do, I do get to sleep. I mean, there might be times in the middle of the night that they'll come through to me or I'll get a vision or an idea. Um, but yeah, it's just part of who I am now. You know, I do try, I do try to relax, but I don't think I know what relaxing is. I'm always pretty busy doing something. Do you use them to guide you in terms of, what you should do in life. And I say this because this is the first time that I've ever reached out to someone come on and speak and was told, yes, you can have a conversation with Debbie because the spirits have approved you. And I thought that that's bloody pressure because I'm not used to having another realm um, okay me. So did they sort <laughs> of guide you in regards to, to what to do? Yeah, they do if something feels good or something doesn't. But there's times when I will go against what feels right and then I find it's going to be a det- it's going to be a challenging experience shall we say because I found it very difficult in the beginning to um be hearing these these angels or spirit guides talking to me and telling me I couldn't couldn't do things because who are they to say and where do they come from I didn't know who they were so for me I was very uh, reticent to even embrace any of this you know now I've realized that sometimes they, w- they would give me warnings they've saved my life many times really know? Yes. Even though you've had seven near-death experiences. Yeah, but that's been more through um, I've had had a lot of illness and I've had a lot of anaesthetics. So when I've had anaesthetics, I've gone to the light through that and through medical procedures. Um, And I say that like if I've had to have an anaesthetic um, or I had an allergic reaction uh, to um, a morphine drip that I was put on. I didn't know I was allergic to morphine. So it's things, you know, things like that. But... um, when I used to have my office, I because I was working on a lot of cases, and when my very first book came out, we went out to uh, Camden um, Library, and I was always a bit nervous about writing about the police stuff in case anything happened to me, and I thought I'll embrace it, and I did it. But then these these um, guys forced their way into the book talk, and um, I never had my business card with my address on it before. And these two guys had forced their way in. One of them came to buy the book. And when he did, he was sitting in front of me and he's flicking my card in his face saying, where do you live, where do you live? And uh, I said, oh, it's just in the Shire. And he said, I wouldn't come that far from my honeymoon. But then he, then in my head, my God said, but I'd come that far to kill you. So it was a bit, 
scary. And the police were called during the talk because these guys had forced their way in. So I'm doing this talk and there's like 200 people and there's police officers walking around in the background. I had no idea what they were there for at the time. And then I was held in the building for about an hour because it was all bikies outside, which I didn't know till later on. But then six weeks later, I kept getting this feeling someone was coming after me. And um, there's somebody broke into my office. They didn't take anything, but it was just to scare me. It did a good job. And, um, and then at a later stage, there was hooded men that were waiting down in the car park when I came down the stairs. Didn't do anything, but it was more or less, you know, just knowing so. Yeah, there's been some there's been some times and even just sometimes you might be you know walking somewhere and not feeling something's right and sort of feeling there's someone behind you that shouldn't be there and you know so i always listen to what they say because it it, it is of assistance to me hmm. and many would put that down to intuition whereas mm -hmm. yeah well i was having visions before well when you think intuition and psychics they run parallel to each other. I mean, we have these psychic gifts that we don't even really even think about. So we've got the psychic clairs. So we've, you know, we've got taste and in our normal sense, but we've also got clairgustance in our psychic sense. So when I'm tuning in and working on something, for example, if it's working on a case, um, I might taste blood in my mouth or I might taste a substance. Like it might taste like it's, um, a chemical it could be alcohol or it could be cigarette smoke so that 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 sense still working with my normal senses you know and there's another one called clear aliens where and a lot of people have this happen to them anyway you might be thinking of nana nana is acetyl hairspray and then suddenly you get a little waft of acetyl hairspray around you or you might get a smell of smoke the pop used to smoke so sometimes we get these little glimpses and we just think you smell it and it's gone because it doesn't linger for a long time. But that that's part of our senses. So we smell it literally, but psychically it can be a message from the other side to say that our oh, nana's arrived or, you know, someone's arrived, you know. What should someone do if they feel like there's a spirit in their home? And I'm saying this because my husband felt like there was some, there was definitely a spirit and used to leave physical, uh, um, signs that there was something in his home before I left he, uh, before I met him so what would someone do in that sense he felt that they were a helpful spirit well it can be can be can be a loved one in spirit that's around you that's trying to help you it could be a mm -hmm. guardian angel it can be the person who lived in the house before you you know sometimes you know the spirits might be happy that you're looking after the house the way they would like. Um, a friend of mine, she had a, bought a, um, like a historical property at Parramatta. And when she started renovating, the house started going off and things were going crazy. She had her wedding photos on the, on the wall and they kept flying off and the glass would break. And then she was having so many problems. The door would, bell would go in the middle of the night and she was seeing a lady that was standing there in like an old cotton nighty or nightgown with a, with a candle on sort of like a little candle, candle holder at the end of the bed. And then when she started sort of checking with the neighbours, she found out that the people who lived there before her had sold the house because they'd had the priest so many times to clear the house and they couldn't. So they ended up inheriting the ghosts. So sometimes, you know, spirit can stay, it's called psychometry will go into jewellery and, and clothing, but it's also will go into locations like a house or even in the land. So it's energy. But I think with your husband, I, I feel it's when they're being cheeky, it can be, 
a cheeky spirit guide that was working there. It could be his grandfather, you know, that was around him. Mm. So because one. he used to have all the doors in the kitchen used to be open at 45 all the cabinet doors at exactly 45 degrees and there was an old dryer there that he never used to go out while it was on and he forgot one day and when he ran back when he realized it was unplugged and the and the um, electricity switch was turned off so it was and he was living by himself so there was something going on in that house well, we have things yeah. like that here we went yeah. um we have a, a little nine-month-old puppy and she's not used to it being by herself. And we went to my, I don't like football, but my husband does. So I said to him, I'd go because he, he wanted someone to go with him. So I went to the football and we forgot to leave the light on and the TV on for her because the kids have just sort of gone overseas. So there was no one in the house. And normally there's always someone here. Anyway, we, we, when we were coming home, it was we weren't gone that long. We got home about eight o'clock and I said to him, we should have left the TV on for the dog at least and, the, and a light on so that at least she could hear voices. We get home and the, and the TV was turned on in the lounge room and we didn't turn it on. And I said, oh, look, your dad's come around and make sure the dog was all right because his dad's in spirit. So, and we get the fans upstairs going, um, they'll turn themselves on. The TVs turn themselves on all the time now. The other night I was here and the dog can see spirit as well. And sitting up the front of the house and this is sort of the back here where my office is and you could hear all this stomping and banging coming down the stairs and even the dog could see I could see she's looking at me looking at the stairs like what's going on mum and um, I said to my husband did you hear that and he said oh don't worry about it. it's all good and then it came past and it was a male and it came past and it banged on the window right next to him and he said oh look I'm watching the footy I don't care and um and then it was sort of banging around and then it stopped but um sometimes that can happen if I'm doing a reading so somebody might be arriving the day before I'm doing one but generally, I just sort of feel it's, you know, family members trying to get our attention. Can you see animals as well as people? Yes, I can. So how do animals communicate? Because normally they aren't speaking in a human voice. Yeah. So how do they communicate to you when they're on the other side? It's more like mental images. Like I, it's like watching little video screens for me. And, okay. um, yeah, I mean, it's like a telepathic type of way. It's like I can do readings for people who don't speak English as well. And I don't oh, speak wow. another language. So sometimes I've had people come with an interpreter, but I'll be able to see it because the person in spirit, they might show me the look of the house or they'll show me different scenarios and I'll relay what I what it feels like to me. And they'll go, oh, yeah, how did you know that? Or, you know, how did you see that? But that's, you know, it's, it's, like a, it's like watching TV sometimes. How does your husband, I mean, it sounds like he's fairly nonplussed about it now with TVs going off and fans going on and he's probably so used to it. But how did how did he initially sort of come to terms with the fact that this was going to be his life, that there was going to be poltergeist stuff going on all the time? Not very impressed, to be honest. I think um, he told me he told me I had to stop it and to turn it off because I wasn't like it when he married me. So I had to just get over it and get rid of it. And the funny part is, is all the kids are all very intuitive, the two younger ones more so. And when his father passed away, we've we had so many undeniable things happening and messages from his father and so now yes he believes and he st he gets a few things he doesn't he doesn't always see a lot of things he's had a few scares though which is we all laugh about that we think it's only fair so he has to sort of experience it as well that's funny that's really funny um i could imagine that if you you're not used to it and then suddenly you've the woman that you love are married seeing all this sort of stuff and everything's happening it could be a little un little unsettling definitely 
How did you um, get to start working with the police? Because you describe yourself also as a psychic detective. You work on cold cases, and we won't go into specifics of the of the cases for obvious reasons. Um, but how did you a start working with them? Because I would imagine working with the police with their very fact based, evidence based career court systems. How does Debbie come along and say, you need to listen to me, I am telling you factual information about this case, and then them uh, believe you, I suppose, in terms of that? That was really hard. I um, had had a miscarriage and then I was, um, the, the backpacker murders were a big thing at the time and I was actually working at Fairfax Community Newspapers and I um, started having lots of visions and I didn't know what they were. I was like coming in a dream and I didn't know what was going on to start with, but then I started to see things before they were announced on the news. And at first I just thought I was just watching too much because at that time the internet wasn't what it is. I don't even mm. know if it was really around. Um, Cause I've Probably been doing not. this nearly 31, yeah, 31 years. So no. So it was a, it was a really a big time where things were a lot different and just, there was, you know, you see now we get flooded with things, but every day there was a bit more about the backpacker murders a bit more. And then I started to see all this information and um, I it started to come true. And I spoke to a friend of mine because we went down to Barrel because uh, all the boys, they were all playing baseball. We went down for a weekend away. And when I was down there, it was really strong and I started getting more and more information. And I spoke to one of my girlfriends and said, look, this is happening. I don't know what's going on. And then she sort of, came to realise that what I was seeing was coming true. So she put me in contact with a friend of hers who was a police officer and then it went from there. And then her her friend's husband was also a police officer and he was part of um, Task Force Air. And so I started to relay the information to him and then they um, were interested in some of the things that I was saying to them. So then they put me in touch with um, the task force and then I had to run, run through so many things like, you know, have you got mental health issues, you know, and what are your doctor's names, a whole lot of stuff. And then, then they asked me would I keep a diary after, after lots going through lots of hoops. And they just said, look, um, cause like they said, just ring us when you get something. Cause you know, they had like a sort of a call center type thing. So then they um, said to me, what you might be better off to do is just write things down and, you know, keep like a diary and we'll assign two officers to you and I'll come and pick it up or interview you. So, um, I was supposed to go with them and meet them and then they discovered I was pregnant so they didn't want anything to do with me because, you know, it could have been detrimental and because I was going to go into hypnosis for them then. But then I just kept writing all the information down and um, then things started to happen like more and more and I sort of knew things ahead of time. And then we, um, I spoke to one of the journalists there and I was telling him what was going on and he said, well, why don't we write a story about you? And he said, now, which paper do you want? And we had... Oh, I think there were, I don't know, there was over 30 local papers that it could have gone to. And they said, here's the demographics, pick the map. And I wanted the MacArthur Advertiser. That was the one that jumped out at me. So the, the main story went in there and they called me Julia. They just said that I was having these visions. And then through that, um, Ivan Mlatt's girlfriend contacted the newspaper and wanted to have contact with me. And I, I, I had a lot of contact on the phone, but never met in person. And um, so I'd sort of, I'd just write things down of what I got and then I'd give the information to the police. But then I started to know too much. And before I was doing the diary, the police sort of said to me, 
when I knew things, they were worried that I was involved because it was like, where are you on certain days? So what's your alibi? What have you been doing? And it was a bit frightening. I had a fake electricity man come to my house during this stage. My son was only six weeks old by then. And I remember ringing the police and telling them there was something going on and we'd only had our power board checked two weeks before and this strange guy was hanging out the front and he was in a Sydney electricity car and I rang the electricity board and they said no one was supposed to be there and um, I went to open the door because he knocked on the door and when I went to open the door my I was kind of thrown back as if to say don't touch the door and I didn't have a screen door on the door Oh my goodness, so, I've gone on goosebumpy. Yeah, it was yeah, it was terrifying. And then I, I the way my house used to be set up, I went to the kitchen and I could see my car was parked outside the kitchen window and you could and we had like a ramp on the side of the house to get in uh, before we renovated. So I looked outside and I could see in the reflection on my car a guy lying pushed flat against the wall with a big um all this um had he had like wire coiled up in his hand. I couldn't see his face, but I could just see him pushed up like back to the wall so I couldn't see him. So if I had opened the door, he would have grabbed me. And um, so I said he was there and there was no answer and I just didn't say anything. Then he was hanging around out the front for probably another hour and I rang the uh, task force and said, there's something's going on. I don't know what's going on. They just said, just get out of the house and we'll just sort of keep an eye on you. And um, I went to a friend's place who who was, was very psychic and I went to her learning circle to try and learn to shut it all down. So I stayed with her for the day. And then it all sort of, it was weird. Um, it all sort of settled down. I don't know what that was about, but it was just really frightening. And it made me think, I don't want to do this. It's too scary in my life. You know, my fam family could be in danger because of this. And so it was a lot of soul searching and thinking, well, why did you get involved with this? Why are you doing it? You know, what, what is the point of it? Because, I wasn't involved with any of the things that had happened, yet that was bringing that energy to me. So it really made me think about it. So I said I'd never do it anymore. Sort of once the they'd sort of gone through all the backpacker stuff, I thought, no, I'm not doing it. And then I started working on the Haunted Sydney tours that used to be in Sydney. It used to drive around in Sydney in a hearse and we'd get their go on ghost tours. And I was asked whether I would do readings between each location. So I did that. I used to do that every, say, three or four months for a bit of fun and do readings and do spirit photography and it used to take off from King's Cross and this one night I'd done I'd done a tour I came home went to bed and I woke up in the middle of the night and um, I had this dream about I was in the hearse the hearse was called Elvira and it was a black hearse and so in my dream I was in Elvira and I was in the passenger side and the owner of the car Alan he was sitting there driving and I we're at the lights and we stopped and we I looked across and there was this young lady and she was in a hearse with a guy with dark hair, like black hair. And I just didn't like the look of him. And she was so beautiful and young and carefree. She was about 18, 19. But she, she was in a hearse as well, which was kind of crazy. But the hearse had no roof. And I could see a really clear view, but it was a hearse. And I thought, it's a really stupid dream. Don't even know what this is going on about. And um, two weeks later, this same girl was uh, they were, had a missing persons thing on and she was missing. And it was her. And one of the detectives who I'd worked with on the backpacker murders was in charge of the case. And I, th I thought, this is a sign I have to help. So I got myself back involved again and then I ended up uh, working with them for quite a while. I didn't end up solving the case and I've never, I've never found a body. So I don't say that I'm, you know, it's not like medium, you go to the location, you know, you say X marks the spot and there's the body and there's this and there's that. It's not like that. I've 
do identikits. I, you know, I can profile, I can do a lot of things, but that's one thing that I haven't ever done. I've gone out with this work with the gorgeous, some of the gorgeous guys from the dog unit. We've done a lot of work together and we've, we've found information and clues, but not, like I said, not a body. So I ended up um, going down to Tumut where um, this young lady's name was Neve May, but she went missing. And the guy in the, and it's not in the, sorry, the guy in the hearse was actually the suspect, which I didn't know at the time. So I had some pieces of jewellery of hers sent to me, tuned in. Then I went down and I was um, very blessed to have met her beautiful family and they embraced me and they were just really lovely. So I drove down with them because they come from um, Armadale. So they picked me up on the way and we went down to Tumut together. And I sort of had to tune into maps and things and gave them all the clues of things I had seen. And then we went out in the car and we were driving down to the location. And um, I described what this man looked like anyway. They gave me a photo and it was him, the guy in the hearse. It was him and her in the photo. And then the part of the visions I saw was that we needed to go in, we needed to go on a road near black and white cows. And there's not a lot of black and white cows down in that area. And there was only one way you could go. So... They drove me past there and we went to a certain part and we were going for Blowering Dam and um, we got we got to the top of this hill and it had been raining and all the road was washed out so we couldn't get down there. So we had to turn around and go back and they said, well, how you, where do you want to go? And I, I don't know, I just told them where to go. I'd never been there, but it was just, I felt like Neve was with me telling me what we had to do. And we got down there and we get out of the car and they had another photograph and I said, we stopped. And they said, where do you want to stop? I said, I want to stop here in this, this um in a bush beside us, there's something there. And we stopped and they said, well, you know where you're standing, don't you? And I said, no. And they gave me the photo and they said, this is him and her. And there's a picture of him. She's standing beside him with the hearse and he's in the image. So I thought, this is it. I found the spot. It's great. We're going to find it. And they've done it. They did a number of searches. I'd gone down for two. We didn't find her. And I was absolutely heartbroken because I felt like I'd failed. And he'd Subsequently, before he did the search, he had tried to attack somebody else up in Brisbane and he was under police arrest and he got away and he jumped off a multi-level car park and killed himself. So I didn't even get to find out through him. So out of all the cases, I think that probably haunts me the most because she was alive when I had the vision. Until like two weeks later, she was dead and I didn't know who she was. How do you energetically protect yourself from the spirits that don't have a high vibration? I, I work on a higher vibration myself. So the higher and, and more elevated my energy is, the, the harder it is for them to be around me. Working on cases, yes, you've got to drop your frequency. But I, you know, I white light and I do work very closely with my guardian angels, spirit guides, and or my the spirit team, I'd have to say. You know, there are times, like I did a show called Screen Test in... 1999 and they got it was they got around 30 people and then they were all, were all put on a bus and we had to go to different uh, like to one location first to be checked to to pick and they ended up picking 20 people to go to four locations and i was taken to maitland jail uh, with four, four other people and i got physically attacked there i ended up with strangulation marks on my neck for 18 months after that Wow. It was really quite frightening and it really taught me a lot. It was terrifying. Like, so we were taken there with a bag on our head and we just um, sort of, we sat in a van for about an hour and a half, just pitch black with a bag on your head. So you were already frightened. You couldn't have a watch, couldn't have a phone. You just had to sit there in silence. They didn't tell us where we were going. And then suddenly they take us there and I just thought we're going to a jail. I just could feel it. Got, you know, 
open the van up, pull us out with the bags on our head, take the bag off, and it's like, right, you're here, welcome to hell. And um, we um, sort of went through, had to go through, and they lock us in all different cells for I don't know how long because we didn't have a watch or anything. And when you when you're terrified sitting in pitch black in the dark, it seems like it could be it could be an hour, but it could be five minutes. So, yeah, <laughs> so it's like, oh. and you weren't allowed to film unless you had the light on. So we had an EMF tester, we had a, a temperature gauge and a, and a video camera. So what I thought, if I'm going to be smart, if, I, if I'm scared stiff in the light, sitting in the dark, I would film and have the light on. But what they would do first, they'd, they'd throw you in the cell, lock you in there in the dark, play a video of all the horrible things that happened in the cell, then turn it off and just had to sit there. And so your imagination's starting to go crazy, but they also put fake noises and sounds in there. But I could hear psychically. So what they would what they were doing and what was real with the ghost was completely different to what I was hearing. But I, I came out, like I said, I had those strangulation marks on my neck. I scratched on the face. I got thrown around. I had a lot of stuff happening. I could feel um, men urinating on me when I was in, the, in one certain area. I got, you know, the strangulation. I felt like I was being lifted by the throat. I couldn't breathe. And then when I went back to the motel afterwards, because I was everybody else quit, they wouldn't make they didn't make it through the whole night through all the cells. But I'm stubborn and maybe stupid, and I was not going to quit, so I got through it. But then I had to suffer the consequences. But it it really made me understand that you know, it's not all good stuff. And I think a lot of people love going to haunted locations and thinking, you know, wouldn't it be fun for the ghost to show me or for the, or for them to come home with me or for them to give me proof and you've got to be careful what you wish for because you just might get it, you know, and it's not always pleasant. I was going to ask you about, you mentioned then come home with me and I don't, I mean, you said that everyone's got psychic ability, but I would never say that I've psychic, but certainly I would, I get sometimes very strong feelings in terms of this is not like I need to get out of this house or it could be, um, I used to do real estate. So it used to be like, or, it's not yeah, a nice energy, energy in in regards to the house or um, certain rooms you walk in, and it's just a it just a, it's a yucky sort of feeling and an urgency in regards to you've got to get out of that room. Can spirit attach themselves to someone and then just basically follow them or like follow them around? Like if you go into and it may not be a, a negative energy that attaches; it could be a, a, a a high frequency but can you have them attached to you and then how do you get rid of them yeah well they can attach to you and you know you're saying about the yucky feelings that's again mm. psychometry because that's the energy residual energy left from the past so mm. you might find that so somebody's bought a house and then it's a divorce sale then that energy's still there so when you go to the, the next person that buys they might get divorced because that energy's still there so what you need to do is is to clear things or you know they can you know they might be attached to you because what happens they might see that you know that they're aware that they're around you know that it's like we're the lighthouse and they're the ship lost at sea it's a bit like ghosts you know in in the movie um ghosts when they're in their um in the subway where the guy that homeless guy's there and he's dead and then he's he sort of sees um other people and he attaches yeah well they sometimes they'll attach to you because they'll see that you can see them and they might be hanging around you because they want help they might be there to help you they might be there to guide you positive ones aren't going to cause you problems it's the negative ones or the lost souls you know and sometimes people who have addictions sometimes they've got addictions 
but then because they have an addiction then they might be attracting other people who had addictions who were who are now in, in spirit and they don't have a body anymore so they're going to need a host to give them the alcohol or the the drugs or whatever that addiction can be so they can attach through things like that so it can come through in different ways um, you know you can white light yourself in sort of you know protecting you and lifting your frequency but also smudging your house is you know or using tibetan singing bowls there's a whole lot of different ways you can do it that's another way to clear the energy how how often do you think you should do that as an individual that's not working with spirit? I mean, you're obviously probably need to do it every two seconds, but what, <laughs> what, probably. what yeah. for the, for the lay person out there that's just walking around through life and going to the office and stuff, what, how often do you think that they should be as a regular practice smudging and um, clearing their themselves and, and their space that they live in? No, I think, you know, if, if you're, um, if you're feeling negative energy in the house or you just want to sort of give it a spring clean, I think it's good to, you know, to do that, you know, so it, you know, at least once a year would be good, but, you know, of course, probably more so. And if you're feeling that everybody's feeling really sick at, at the moment or everybody's feeling really negative or anxious or angry, uh, that's another sign to sort of start to lift the vibration. The others, you know, and to clear, clear the house or smudge it. The other thing is, is about you being grounded because if you're not grounded, you're going to be scatty. So sometimes when you're working too much, and I think sometimes when we're on the computer too much, that can also be part of it because spirit likes energy. They feed off energy, whether it's electrical energy or human energy, it's energy you know, or if it's earth energy. So I think it's really important, you know, when you're finding that you're a bit scatty or you're getting a bit angry or grumpy, get outside, go in the garden, go for a walk, um, go to the beach, go in the water. I use the shower a lot. My, my, I white light every morning, white light on, showers around me and wash any negativity off and put my little force field on at the end of the day, have another shower, washing anything that might have attached during the day and also saying to any spirits that, you know, I'm going to sleep now, it's time to go away and leave me alone. So I try to do it that way, but sometimes if it's urgent, they might come through. But I, I really think, yeah, being grounded as possible, you know, and sort of being in a, in a balanced space is, is important. I was reading that you were thinking or feeling, I don't, I don't know how to correctly state it, but there is a, a global awakening happening in regards to the spirit world. What do you mean yeah. by that? I think since COVID hit, it's actually hastened everything you know and, and we've had a lot of time on our own mm. and there, we've had a lot of deaths and you know anxiousness and depression and mm. being in lockdown it's been a big thing I think a lot of people being stuck at home not being free and able to get out and about and I think the anxiousness anxiousness of death because death's been staring us down the face like it's kind of like it, when it when it COVID first hit it was kind of like oh my god I could go to the supermarket and I could be dead because I, I passed someone else who's given me COVID. Like we had a lot of that, um, you know, not really having the knowledge of what, what could be. It's like, it was like we're going through an apocalypse, you know, the way that the well, thought was. Debbie, I was in Melbourne. So. Um, well, hello. Yeah. <laughs> hello. We had counted on every second of the running of death numbers and, and the. Exactly. Control by fear was a real thing. Definitely. But I think through that happening, I think it made us a lot of us sort of going within and starting to think about spiritual practices or being positive or even meditating and trying to think of the good things. And I think it's made us a lot, of, a lot more aware of things. Look, we are, we've all, we've all born with these abilities, but whether or not you use them is another thing. Like, you know, 
people can, you know, people can be a runner or they might be a swimmer, but it doesn't mean they're going to be an Olympian. But I think when we practice things and work with them and exercise that muscle, so that psychic muscle, or use that what I call it our spiritual, um, spiritual or psychic GPS, when we start to work with that, that that's when we can start to, you know, sort of think about what's our meaning in life. Because I think a lot of us started to think about that. And, you know, you think about you could be dead tomorrow. You don't you don't know how long you're here for anymore. And there's was so many people of all different age groups just suddenly left the earth all at once. You know, and it wasn't just in, in Australia being global. I think a lot of us started to really contemplate and think, well, um, I don't know how long I'm here for, but, but I want to make the most of it and I want to make a difference or do something meaningful and create memories that are happy instead of being miserable and depressed. And I think that's part of what this awakening is. But lots of people, lots of people saying, you know, I'm, I'm hearing things, I'm seeing things, I'm feeling things. I don't know what they are. And it's like I had it when I was little, but I shut it down, but it's really here now. I can't, I can't get rid of it. And that's how I had it happen to me. It's kind of like I got to the point if you can't beat them, join them. So I felt like if if I'm going to have to have this, and at first it was like if I'm going to have to have this curse for want of a better word is it a gift or is it a curse but I started to think well I'm going to make the most of it and I'm going to use it in a positive light and if I can use it to help other people then so be it it must have been for a reason and you know even if I don't know what that reason is I just think if there was somebody like me that could help me if I had things you know say so I'd lost a family member or I needed a message from the other side and I you know wasn't able to connect myself and I needed that help. I would hope that there would be somebody there that would like to help me understand that and to, you know, not to be frightened or be fearful that when we're dead, we're dead. If someone wants to develop their ability, how does one go about it in a safe manner? And how do you find the people that are able to guide you to do that in a safe manner? And that's the biggest thing in the safe manner is an extremely important thing to bring mm. up. I'm finding at the moment um, with the awakening, there's good things with the awakening and not so good things. And a lot of people are really embracing, you know, they're wanting to use other psychic tools, which are fine, but I think you need to do it safely. You know, like people playing with Ouija boards or, you know, wanting to have that quick fix and getting that, that information to come through quickly you know, with spirit, the negative ones will interact with you a lot quicker than the more positive ones because the negative ones are on our plane. They're already on our, on our well, probably our frequency is not always as high as it could be, you know, in the earth realm. Theirs is on a higher vibration. So, you know, people that play with Ouija boards or, you know, um, they might look, they might use cards. It, it just, and not that cards are bad either, but I think you need to sort of do it in a safe environment. You always need to protect yourself and do, you know, whether you say, a positive affirmation or a prayer or protect yourself with white light. I think setting a high intention is the most important thing. And you want positive information coming through. You know, you don't want negative stuff coming through if you can't do anything with it. You know, I think it's a matter of something for somebody's highest good. And I think it's real, being really mindful when people do readings, you don't sort of say to someone, oh yeah, well, I'm just seeing you. And by the way, I'm, you're going to be dead in six months because, you know, you're going to get hit by a car. I mean, that's, what good is that to say to someone? But, you know, I've, I've, had, I've met people who have been told that by the time they were 30, they were going to die in a plane crash. In their whole life, they didn't do anything till after 30 because they were terrified they were going to die in a plane crash. But the thing is, if you've got this thought that I'm going to die in a plane crash, we're going to die, you're, you're actually manifesting it and you're bringing it closer and closer and closer. You know, so I think it's a matter of think about 
if we can't control everything, but I think we can be as positive as possible and focus on, you know, if you're getting a message, what is it for my highest good? What's going to, you know, be better for me? How can I improve things? Not how can I control somebody or how can I make my boyfriend come back when he's happily off with somebody else? You know, I think it's a matter of we have to be responsible for our own thinking, but also that we're being guided and being positive, not being controlling and manipulative. If you feel that you've got uh, spirit entities, energies around you, how can you help them pass on? They're obviously stuck in this realm. How can you um, help them move towards the light? Sometimes you can personally do it by even imagining being with them and, you know, lighting a candle for them and or doing a meditation. Um, I even imagine it's it's like, you know, when it's been raining and then the sun sort of clear, comes between the clouds, it's like the, the ray of lights from heaven. So I will even imagine taking them to the light and walking up the stairways with them to take them into the light and take them as high as they, they go. And, then, and I encourage them and tell them that their loved ones are there waiting to be with them and it's their time to leave. So you can do it that way. Otherwise, you know, sometimes contacting the spiritualist church or some people might use a priest if they want to do that. You know, I think you can do it that way. Um, yeah, I think it's more a matter of just trying to be, sorry, I've lost my train of thought then. Sorry, I just lost that, that thought. And I <laughs> so go, I was, who's coming in and talking to you to yeah. make you lose a train of thought, whereas me, I'm just like, la da 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 squirrel, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, they were saying to me that when you were talking about, I should have mentioned something before and they went mad on me then and said, you know, you're talking about um, being positive, about, you know, doing things mindfully and how staying safe when you're working with spirit. They just said to me, I forgot to mention that, you know, going and joining a learning circle or a meditation group or like-minded souls, you know, and, and sort of doing it safely. So where you've got someone who's going to guide you through it or, I mean, of course, there's lots of information on the internet, but and there's lots of books, but I think it's, it's sometimes it's better to be in your um, tribe. When I say mm -hmm. tribe, like other like-minded people who are, have got the same intention. So that's why they were going mad on me about, about that. <laughs> when you don't know, if you're reading something um, on the internet, you don't know the person that's written its intention behind it. So you don't know if no. it's a, what vibrational level it's at. No. Well, a lot of the time to, um, a lot of the messages can be similar. So if you're picking up, if you've got a certain feeling that you're drawn to and then you, you find that similar positive impression, you know, it might be that um, one of the very first books I was reading was Dawn Hill and then there was Rosemary out there and they always, when people are talking about the light, I find if you're talking about the positive stuff and a lot of mediums or psychics or just people who are spiritual, it's about that protection and feeling safe and loved and uplifted. Then that's, that's the positive. It's like, if you're, if you want to make contact with spirit and you feel terrified and you feel frightened or you're feeling pain or you're feeling anxiousness or anger, well, then you're picking up negative energies. You know, but when you're picking up positive stuff, you got a, you got an angel and spirit guide's going to tell you positive things, you know, and they're going to help you and sort of, you know, it might give you inspiration to do something positive. If you're getting um, messages telling you to go and kill yourself or that, you know, that you're no good, that you're useless, that everybody hates you and you're worthless, well, then you're on a negative frequency. So I think it's trying to, trying to discern, you know, it's like if you had a friend speaking to you like this in life, you'd be going, well, I don't really like you being around me. Your energy's not right. 
you know, and so, and if you have a, a friend being positive and saying, oh, you're great, I love being around you, your energy's great, and let's, you know, and you feel happy around that person, well, then that's a positive energy in the living, and it's the exact same kind of feeling in, in the, you know, with the spirit realm. If spirit's telling you bad things and telling, you know, being horrible to you and making you feel worthless, well, what do you want to be around that for? When people come to you for, for readings, what do you find is the common thread that they come to you for? Is it to get answers? Is it just to connect? What I don't want to do is do an education thing in regards to how people can can do it, but I'm interested in terms of you've mentioned that you connect through a photo. You've mentioned that you've connected through uh, jewellery as well. So I'm interested in that process, that that how you do it broadly. But also what do you, what is the main uh, reason why people come to you for psychic readings? So many different reasons. Really? You know? Okay. Yeah. So it can be about connection with a family member. It could be how they can be more in control of their abilities or, you know, wanting to, to work more with, with spirit, you know, and understanding what that ringing in their ear is, you know, and it, mm. it's, it's tinnitus, but yes, it could be spirits frequency of them trying to give you messages or give you clear audience. It could be business advice that people have. It might be um, they're doing family history and they're trying to track back some, um, family, you know, the family tree and trying to find out where things go. Um, it could even be about children who see spirit or, you know, that they're having nightmares. So it might be sort of working out how they can help their children. Um, it could be they've got a love, loved one who's, they didn't get to say goodbye to, so they, you know, want to be able to say goodbye. And a lot of it's about contact, of course. But a lot of people want to know about career, you know, health, wealth, love, I don't get the lotto numbers, but, you know, people people want that. The hardest thing is I find when somebody wants me to tell them how to bring their boyfriend back, ain't going to happen. <laughs> Everyone has free will. If somebody, you know, it's like, but I want him back, but then I see he doesn't want to come back and we can't control things. And maybe the timings, you know, maybe the time you're meant to be together was that period of time. But sometimes there's times when I see them coming back and then they do, or they might come to me about um, fertility. And I'm not a doctor and I don't, ever portray that I am or that I have medical knowledge but sometimes um you know I've I've had a lot of little ones that I've seen in spirit around their mum when I'm talking to them and I sort of say to them oh you know or otherwise I'll see them pregnant and I'll actually see the baby in their tummy you know then I actually then they'll ring me and say oh you know I've, I've, yes I'm pregnant now I've had a child there was one lady I saw she was gorgeous she already had four children and the two youngest were twins and she's sitting there and this little boy kept sitting on the floor and I usually see them around the age of two and he's sitting on the floor and he's playing with some blocks and having a lovely time. And I said, oh, are you thinking of having any more children? She said, no, definitely not. I'm finished. Got, you know, got they're, they're getting too old now and I've got twins are the littlest ones. I said, there's a little boy. They said, no, no, don't. She, she said, just look above the lounge. Don't look down there. <laughs> <laughs> and six weeks later she rang me and she said, guess what, I'm pregnant. And it was <laughs> like, ah. Oh. And she said, it's your fault. And I said, you know how he got in there? I had nothing to do with it. And <laughs> he's about 19 now, so I think it's really funny. And she said, you know, it's just a blessing, a little blessing that, you know, came and chose the family and chose to be with them. What do you think the biggest misconception about psychic abilities and mediumship is? Because I suppose someone goes, oh, well, they're a psychic or a medium, you know, they're going to be able to bring up Elvis at will or, you know, whatnot. Like what, what is the biggest <laughs> misconception? Who are you randomly having conversations with? <laughs> yeah, true. Well, it's, it's funny because where my office used to be, I'd see people walking down the street talking to themselves and I didn't see anybody with them and I could see dead people. So I don't know if they were on a different frequency or <laughs> what was going on. 
<laughs> but I think the difference is with, you know, mediumship, you see, you do see spirit and you can communicate with them. But then clairaudience, you can hear spirit but not see them. Mm. And clairvoyance is seeing things, but it doesn't necessarily, clairvoyant doesn't necessarily see dead people. They might see symbology or they might see about your past, present or your future. Um, and some people are clairsentient. So they might feel it. So people can do readings and they can feel things in themselves, but they don't necessarily see it. But sometimes, you know, you can, with working with your gifts, not everybody, but you can activate them and, you know, get them all working together, you know, so they can come through in different ways. But, um, yeah, it's, it's hard because people, when you say you're a medium, it's like, oh, yeah, whatever, you know. Uh, and it's be opening the door before I ring the doorbell, that sort of a thing. It can be, it can be. Yeah, definitely. Or knowing he's on the phone before they, they, they answer. But then that can also come, the clairvoyance and the mediumship come pretty close together. But people can be psychic but not be a medium. So they can know things about the future, but they might not see dead people. But gen a lot of the time it works together, but not always. It just, yeah, it's, it's there's lots of different gifts. There's eight different ones. And um a lot of them work hand in hand. Like we get claircognizance, which everybody gets, where you get that light bulb moment that goes off the top of your head. You might be thinking of something, but you don't really know the answer. And then it just sort of pops off and you think, wow, where did that come from? And everybody gets that, but we just go, oh, that's a light bulb moment, you know, but it's actually another psychic sense, but it doesn't, it comes out of nowhere. So it's kind of a harder one to trace compared to some of the other ones that we have. I think one of the main questions that people uh, probably have, and I'm going to pose to you now, is, is heaven real? Well, from my own personal experience, yes. I can only go on what I've seen. I didn't see pearly gates and I didn't see, you know, I didn't see God sitting there sort of saying, okay, well, you're, you're Catholic, you're over here, or you're, you know, Buddhist or you're this or you're that. It's, it's more on energy. Um, for me, the most vivid near-death experience for me was when I, was 33, I had to have a major operation and my daughter was one, my other son was three, my other son was seven. And I knew I was gonna die. I didn't know why I knew I was gonna die, but I just knew I was gonna die. So I even got a will made the night before. I found out um, that I was allergic to morphine and I was put on a morphine drip. So I actually overdosed from that because I had a pump and I had to, they kept telling me to pump it. And when I did, I, I went. And I had this most incredible journey and from that point on when I've never been fearful of death. It's more fearful of leaving my loved ones before I've had enough time with them, I think. But yeah, my my experience was it was like going I don't know, have you ever seen the movie Contact? Yes. Is it the so, one where she falls through the yeah. Well that for me was what it was like. So I went it was like I was on a craft. It was like I was shooting really, really quickly through time and space. And I saw that movie two weeks after I'd had the near-death experience. And when I saw it, I just sat there and bought it. So that's what I saw. But it was like me going, I was a lot of shaking going on. Um, I wasn't in any pain. I was shooting very quickly up. I love the night sky because it's like that's home. And I was part of everything. I was like, I was part of space. And But I was like, times of being really quick and other times of being slow. It was like being on this roller coaster in one way, but then I was part of all of the galaxies. So I could see the stars up close, but then I would slow and I was just like, I was floating next thing you know, I was getting sucked through like a black hole and going through really, really fast. And then I ended up. Terrifying. Into... It sounds terrifying. It, 
yeah, I suppose at the time it was, now I've come back, it's kind of like, wow, that was a pretty cool journey. Then I went through like this tunnel and when I was going through the tunnel, there was a lot of other people, but it was like the pinhole and then it was just, the light was getting brighter and brighter and then I more or less came up and landed in um, what looked like a meadow. And the grass was a bit greener than, I'm sorry, a bit taller than, you know, it's about this tall. So probably, I don't know, about 15 centimetres tall. It was a bit of a breeze. It was just flaying back and forth in the breeze. And there was all these people lined up in front of me. And there was like a little privet hedge. And there was like a little opening in the privet hedge. And there was these two people on the other side. And they were letting everybody come through. And it was my turn to go through. And I'm one of those people, I hate people when they push in front of you in the deli line or, you know, it's, I always wait. So I'm standing there. And it was my turn to go through and the people on the other side of this hedge, and I could have jumped the hedge easily. It wasn't that tall. And they were all just, everything just looked so happy and joyous and all I could feel was love. I just felt so at peace and the colours look more vibrant than what they are here. And I remember them saying, no, you can't come through now. And I was really angry. I was like, what do you mean? I'm here. They all went through. Why can't I come through? And they said, turn around. So I turned around and it was like I was up in the sky and then I could see my husband and my three children on the ground pointing up and they were saying to my husband that my two the two older ones were saying where's mummy where's mummy and he said mummy's not coming back now she's in heaven well she's gone to heaven and so still get emotional i know i can tell sorry that's all right but um yeah it was it was and weird because you back that yeah that, they pulled yeah. me back yeah. yeah yeah and then um i wake up in the hospital and the nurse was shaking me because I'd said to her that I might, you know, that I was going to the light and she was saying, not on my shift, too much paperwork. So it's just mucking around. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then after that, um, the, the, um, the doctors came and asked me what happened. And, Cause I told them just before they knocked me out that I was going to die. And they just said, Oh, well, you know, and why do you think that? And I said, well, cause I'm psychic and I had a vision and they didn't believe me. But then afterwards they asked me what I saw. And then I ended up, I was in hospital for a month. I was not supposed to be in for three days, but I was so sick. I was in for a month. And then um, they said I could go home and I could see I, I had this new gift after that. And I could see this great big um, black spot on my left-hand side. And they said to me, I said, that, that black spot's not gone. And they said, oh, don't worry, you'll be fine. And I ended up coming home and got an infection and they discovered it was a vault hematoma and I had to get rushed back to hospital again. What's and a vault hematoma? Some sort of a big, bruise. A big blood clot. Oh, and then I got infected. And so then I ended up being back in hospital. And yeah, so from that point onwards, uh, things really, really started to shift. But that and then I saw I couldn't sleep, I was really sick for a long time. And then, then when I um, saw contact, I just sat there and I was like, Oh, my God, oh, my God, that was it. And I'm, I'm a mad photographer. I love the night sky. Um, I went especially to the to Norway just to see the auroras because I just had to, because that for me was, it's just heaven and I love looking at the stars and I felt like that's home. Yeah, it's, um, but I'm, I've had, the last one I had was two and a half years ago and I was told that I had carcinoid lymphoma and that I'd probably be dead by February. And I was going through all the tests to see where the cancer was and the last test I was having was a PET scan and I had an allergic reaction to the radioactive iodine and I went again and I um, I went up above the earth and I was like I was watching the earth and it's like, you know, when you see those images from the spacecraft, how you see the sun coming up over the earth, I could see this light coming up, but I had all these angels around me and I felt like I was in this big angel's arms 
and he was just holding me and, and I was just floating there. And then um, I ended up getting dropped back down and I was in the room and I said, the nurse said, are you all right? I said, no, I'd sort of come to you and I said, something's wrong. And she said, oh, no, you seem okay. And she just ignored me. And then I had to have the, um, the CAT scan. And when I went in there, the guy was really rude to me and he sort of said to me, I don't know what... Um, I don't know what you're here for. There's nothing wrong with you. And it was like, I, you know, you're wasting my time because they'd rushed me in specially because it was like a late Friday night and they turned everything off. Like they did the test and then they just left me and I couldn't see, I couldn't, I, I couldn't hardly walk. I managed to find my way down. I got my husband to come and get me and I was sick for, really sick for another two weeks. And my vision was really gone and I was really just in a um, pretty bad state. And then um, the results came back as a, as a false uh, positive and I was fine. So whatever they did, I'm grateful for and I thank them. They, they do lots of weird things because I had to have an operation last year on my foot. I had a, um, uh, a ganglion, a bit ganglion on my ankle. And I always have to warn them about the, the anesthetics. And I'd said to this, this particular doctor, and he goes, oh yeah, we'll see what happens. And while I'm lying on the trolley waiting to go into the operating uh, theatre, the, the sound stairway to heaven, the song says stairway to heaven was playing full bore and I'm lying on there thinking, uh-oh, is this another one? <laughs> and I was a bit scared. I was it, When I came back to it, it sort of said to me, did you have an NDA? And I said, no. I said, but why were you playing stairway to heaven? You scared the crap out of me. And he said, we weren't <laughs> playing that song at all. <laughs> so I don't know what was going on, but anyway, I'm still here. So thank you. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a very good thing. <laughs> it's I think that's also a reason why people need to be careful in regards to who they're doing that with because there is a a real side of things as well it's not just Ouija board it's not just you know mm -hmm. there are consequences to things that people do and it's can be particularly in movies and you know all that sort of stuff it's a bit of party fun and and you know yes. skylarking yeah. yeah, well, I mean, you know, tarot cards are safe if they're in the right hands. And, you know, people, you know, when people want to cast spells and things, I mean, they, there's different forms of witchcraft as well. And I know when I first um, was trying to look into this more, books back then, like, you know, the type of book I've written now, that would be classed, you know, as esoteric. Now it's becoming mainstream, mm. you know, and a lot of people, you know, it's just, it's, we were all born with these abilities. I think, you know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have TV. You think back to, you know, even the, the 1700s, 1600s, you know, we had to sort of live by the land and by the, by the seasons and by the stars and by our feelings and, you know, our knowings. But now I think we're a bit, um, we've become a bit brain dead because we've got too much technology around us. But I think what part of the awakening that's happened is because we had COVID, we had to stop. We had to think we weren't going to work every day. We might've been working from home, but we weren't out and about. We were in a lot of isolation. And I think that's what's been part of bringing this awakening back of thinking about how do I improve my life? How do I have a better, a better look at things? And, you know, is there anything I want to change? But I also do feel, yes, I don't personally play with tarot cards. It's not my thing. People that do it and that's fine. And if they do readings with them, that I don't have a problem with that. That's their thing, but it's just not my thing. And I think it's more a matter of everything I want to do, everything that I want to work with, it's got to be on a positive light. And I and the reason I feel I have this is, is to help, you know, help others, but it's about the enlightening people and education. 
you know, I'm not here to throw um, down everybody's throat that, you know, that you all should do certain rituals or you should do this or do that to, to be a better person. I think it's living in your own skin and what feels right for you. But I think it's living mindfully and purposefully and also creating memories. I think that's one of the things that we realise, you know, that creating positive, happy, uplifting memories because we don't know long how long we're here for. And the thing we take with us into our next life is our memories and the, the happiness we brought to others and the happiness that they can give us. So when we die, we hope we've left something, an imprint of something nice and positive in the past, but hopefully we'll take it with us in the future. You know, and I think that's, you know, even writing things down, we don't handwrite anymore. I think sometimes it's beautiful, you know, to, to look at that card that your Nana gave you when, you know, in her handwriting, because that's her essence or her energy or, you know, someone might've made a, a crochet blanket in granny squares, but that, that person's energy is part of that. Or someone did a painting or a drawing or even writing something. It, I mean, yes, an email's nice, but it's really nice when it's on a piece of paper and you can hold it. But a photograph's the most important thing because that's a catch to capture a moment in time. And it shows we existed because, you know, it's when we die, you know, it is ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We go, our soul lives on, but sometimes it's nice to get in that photo with that loved one. We'll have them in, you know, there with you. I'm a mad photographer. I don't like being in photos. Yeah, neither do I. I know, I'm terrible. And the kids go, why don't you get in a photo, Mum? And, and then when my father-in-law died, it really made me think because he was the photographer. So he was taking the photos but trying to have a slideshow of all of the glimpses of his life were really hard because there wasn't photos. And because of the time he was born, there wasn't a lot of photos around when he was a child. But now we're probably over overrun with selfies so it's, it's nice to get those photos, but maybe get a bit more background, not just your face up close, you know, and sort of, <laughs> or have other faces there with you. And, you know, when you take that photo, remember it, you know, remember that feeling. The other side is, is music's the other thing. So a lot of the time music will take us back in time or, you know, when we're thinking of a loved one, that um, their favourite song might come onto the radio and you hear it and it reminds you of them or, you know, there's music that... Um, Reminds you when you were 16 or 17 and you're having a great time at the beach with your friends. But, you know, it's amazing how all of that energy, it's all part of our emotions. There's a lot of social media, um, the war that's going on over in, in Europe, the Ukraine war. There's a lot of the um, potential threat from China. There's a lot of negativity and a lot of negative energy out there in the world at the moment. With the spiritual awakening that is happening, what do you think the biggest message and the most positive thing that individuals can do to help shift the energy to a more positive light-filled vibration? I think it's about being more mindful and being respectful of each other, you know, and it's about every life counts. Mm. It doesn't matter what country you are in the world. You know, some people are lucky to be born in a more fortunate country you know, and I think it's the thing, it's, you know, a life is a life. And I think it's, it's about respecting each other. And, and I think we've come to a point where control is such a big thing. People want to control each other, you know, and it's terrible because we, we've more or less just gone through a world war three, you know, in a different, in a pandemic side of things, we don't want to go through world war three with the actual weapons, you know, well, the, well I suppose was COVID a weapon, who knows, but you know what I mean? It was more Another, I don't know, another maybe thing. you do, Debbie. <laughs> yes, I won't go into that, but yes, I do have my own opinion of things. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's very important to sort of think if we all could 
it'd be wonderful if, if everyone that was interested in the world, we all had one, even one day or one week that we all sent positive energy out to the universe. I think it would make a significant shift, you know, and thinking something positive because, you know, imagine that combined energy and trying to think of things well, being yeah, more I peaceful. Mean, yeah. Do you, when I used to be in a meditation uh, group and we always used to ground and try and send positive healing energy to the to the earth and stuff. And for those that aren't into that, probably sounds a bit hippie and, and ridiculous, but um, that's fine. That's each to their own. But our teacher was very big in regards to sending healing energy to the earth. Do you still feel that... Um, that is a constant need oh definitely and especially with what we're doing to her at the moment we don't treat her very nicely anymore do we and then, mm. you can only dig so many holes i mean you can't keep just digging and mining and then but and not really respecting this beautiful place that we live in and even just seeing this morning of what's gone on in hawaii you know the the, the bushfires and you saw greece a few weeks ago and how many times have we been hit here in Australia and America, you know, and I think sometimes it's nature's, you know, sort of saying, I'm not very happy with you guys. You need to look after me better. And not even just we as humans, what about all the animals, you know, all the plants, animals and, and birds, we really are just creatures. We need to look after and respect everybody. Given that you've got the ability to tap into this other realm or this other energy that compared to most people that aren't on that energy frequency, how do you, given the insights that you have to the world, to the energy, to this other, um, I don't know how to describe it, um, how do you stay positive and not get, I mean, I, I know that you're saying grounding and, and, and shielding and all that sort of stuff, but how do you not get angry with everything that you see and the knowledge that you have, how do you not get angry about it? Oh, I'm human, so sometimes I do get angry, but that anger's that anger's not going to fix anything. Anger just creates more anger. Mm. So I think it's a matter of trying to be focus on what you can do, not what you can't, because you know it's I can't go and I can't go and stop the war in the Ukraine, or I can't you know stop the bushfires or I can't stop people being negative. But I think if you try and do it in your own environment and try and be as positive with other people, it's almost like pay it forward and you hope that your positive positive energy or your happiness will sort of spread to other people. I think it's, and we are human, we, we do have days where we get angry and if someone cuts you off in the car, you might get annoyed or, you know, we're just human beings. But I think I think treat people how you'd like to be treated is probably the, the better way to think of it because, then if, if you, you're treating someone nicely, well, then you hopefully that they will do the same, you know, because two wrongs don't necessarily make a right. It's only just going to make a fire, isn't it? Well, that's true. But as I'm shaking that fist in the car at the person that's cut me off, I'm not thinking about that at the moment. <laughs> the exact moment. <laughs> I, have, I have my moments too, don't you worry. <laughs> and I just think, well, maybe you're in a bigger hurry than I am and, you know, and... Uh... <laughs> well sounds like you got a lot more grace than i do with that in that situation uh, no no i had i had somebody once and he was being so rude in the car and he um he kept talking me to go around the corner but but i couldn't because there was a car in front of me and i had to wait and because there's a lot of traffic anyway in the end he he went around me he took a took a 
overtook me, went around me, put his foot down and he was a tradie. And when he did, the whole back of his ute flew open and all his tools fell all over the road and all his nails. And they were everywhere. Oh, and I thought, exactly. I thought, well, karma. So there you are. That's, you know, you got your own back, didn't you? And I just drove off. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't wave, but. <laughs> Do you find that you avoid going out into, like you mentioned the football the other day. Do you avoid going to big crowds and supermarkets and stuff like that where you know there's going to be more people around? Because if you can see dead people walking around like six cents, I would imagine if there's 10 people, it's probably really 50 for you. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I don't particularly like being in crowds, but I kind of just think I'll just get in and get out. Um, yeah. And then I'll never forget many years ago, um, went to Medicare and it was when I used to, I used to work from home then and then I've had the office for over 20 years. I'm back at home now. And um, I was in the line and this lady was in front of me and her husband was there and he, he kept on banging me on the arm. He was in spirit and saying, tell her I'm here, tell her I'm here. And I'm like, let me alone to stop it, stop it. I just want to be normal. I just want to get out. And and we're in the line for about 20 minutes and he started banging me on the arm, banging me on the arm. So, oh, please just stop, just stop. And then in the end, um, I, I said to her, oh, I hope it doesn't take too long. I've got to get back to work because I thought if I said that to her, go, oh, what do you do? So she did. She said, what do you do? And I said, actually, I have an unusual job. Um, I'm a psychic medium. And I said, is your husband in spirit? Oh, yes, he is. And I said, um, she said, how do you know that? And he kept telling me, he's hitting me on the arm, like, punching me by now. I go, tell her it's Jack, tell her it's Jack, tell her it's Jack. And she said, oh, yes, it's my husband, Jack. And I went, oh, yeah, okay. So then I, and I said to her, now he's just showing me that you've, um, you're supposed to go to Egypt, but you didn't go, but you ended up, you, you took him with you though, and you went with your son and he was in your suitcase. And she said, how did you know that? She said, yes, I did. I took his photo and it was in my suitcase. And I did go with my son. And so anyway, I relayed all of these messages for her and then she said can you just wait a little bit dear when we you know when you get out I just want to talk to you a bit more so I gave her some more messages and I had to bolt off home because I had to go back to work but it was funny because I thought oh well she really needed that and you could just see the difference in her energy to know that Jack was aware and had gone to Egypt with her even if it was only in a photo but he was happy that she was still living a life and you know um, surviving after his passing so it was really good to see that. Is that a common occurrence that you just randomly be out and have to be like, oh, I've got to tap this person on the shoulder and say I've got a message for them? It used to, used to be. Now I don't. I just think if if it's meant to be, um, the person will find me or or if a situation arises where that person talks to me of their own accord and then I feel it's right, I'll let them know. But I don't sort of go unsolicited and, and sort of tell everybody that there's someone there. Because I Long did that Island, once. Long Island medium. Oh, look, I did it once and it was so embarrassing. I, my kids were only little and we went to the circus and there was this old man and I could see his wife was past and she was beside him. And she kept telling me I needed to tell him she was there. And then we go into the circus and we're sitting there and he sits beside us. And I thought, this is a sign, this is, you know, he's sitting there right beside us. So then at the interval, I went out and when we did, um, I went up to him and I said, I just wanted to let you know your wife's here. She wants me to let you know. And he started screaming at me and telling me I was a nutbag and a crazy person. And I said to the kids, I think we don't need to see the rest of the circus now. I think we better go home because they're saying, why is the man yelling at you, mummy? Because they're only little. And, and, I, and I said, oh, don't worry. Anyway, they, they made me go back in. So we went back in and sat in there. But um, when we did leave, he sat next to us but just didn't want to look at me because I was crazy. But when we did get out, you could see the difference. He was all stooped over when we first got there and really sad. And he was standing up straight and there was just a difference in him. So whether I, what I said, if he thought I was crazy or not, I could see that it had got through to him because you could see he sort of changed 
you know, in his appearance, but I haven't done it since. (laughs) 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 Debbie, thank you so much. I'm very conscious of your uh, not taking up any more of your time. Uh, Everybody can contact Debbie if they want a psychic reading. Uh, Her website details and how to contact her are going to be in the show notes of the episode. Cheers, Debbie. The One Moment Please podcast. Yeah.